Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. If you like the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you use. It really helps other folks find us. If you'd like to recommend a game, be a guest, or just say hi, you can find me on Twitter at notalone underscore horror, or shoot me an email at youarenotalonepod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Last episode, I started playing Things Eldritch and Terrifying with the game's creator, August. Things Eldritch and Terrifying is a really great two-player story game. It's about an eldritch being and the human they are trying to convince to summon them into our world. We used Things Eldritch and Terrifying to tell the story of Marnie, a retail-working millennial who feels trapped in the town she grew up in. Marnie first encounters Gelyu, our eldritch horror, while walking home from work. Gelyu reached out in the form of a murder of ice-beaked crows, trying to find out what Marnie really wants. A few weeks after running from the crows, Marnie finds herself shopping for groceries, where she ran into Dr. Tennyson, her old family doctor. In the middle of catching up, Dr. Tennyson's features went slack, and Gelyu attempted once again to find out what Marnie wanted, using Dr. Tennyson's body as a vessel. That's where we're picking up our story of Marnie and Gelyu. Let's jump in. You know, Marnie is trying to get out as quickly as possible and is now backpedaling pretty quickly. And there's a, a, a voice, the voice, it's, it's Dr. Tennyson's voice, but it's the cadence in the timber is kind of wrong. And it says, what do you want, Marnie? I think, hmm, how does Marnie respond to that? I think she says, well, I don't want to be here. And the voice says, I could take you anywhere. Where do you want to be? And Marnie, like, without thinking, just reflexively, is like, I want to go home. Like, at this point, at this point, I think she whips her cart around and, like, starts almost running for the end of the aisle. I think maybe a cool way to end this scene would be Marnie whips her cart around and, like, is just about ready to book it down the aisle when she realizes that she's at her house. Oh, Oh, I love that. That's really good. I do think, however, that I'm going to be rewarding a token of revulsion because Marnie has a weak stomach. Yeah. uh, That, that one was a little bit, a little bit more grisly than, uh, than in crows with ice beaks. Yeah, don't get me wrong. August thought it was cool. No pun intended. But Marnie has a weak stomach, so... And I think the reaction to that scene is going to be maybe the next day, Marnie just, like, pushing the cart around idly, trying to figure out how she's going to get it back to the store. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay, so I think 
I think we've inadvertently set this at like near the end of summer, beginning of fall. Yeah, it feels like that's about about where we're at. So I think the next scene is going to be at Marnie's house and it's probably going to be maybe a week or, you know, yeah, let's say two weeks later, Marnie tried to call Dr. Tennyson's office. And as soon as somebody picked up, uh, she hung up and she did this a couple of times in the interim. But now she's like, that's a lot harder to put out of her mind. And so she's getting a little gun shy about leaving. Like, obviously, obviously, like, that couldn't have happened the way she remembered it, but that's not, you know, maybe it's just better if she just like limits her time outside the house. If she's just, you know, going to work and coming home and just only going out for necessities, then she won't have to worry about running into Dr. Tennyson again is her justification. And it makes sense. So I think this, this finds her on her day off. I think we're in one of the first, one of the first like chilly days where it's like, Oh yeah, fall's coming where it's like, you know, 20 degrees cooler than it was the day before. And let's say it's raining. Cause that's always fun. And so she's puttering around her house. I think the cart is like shoved in one corner and uh, she's never taken that back. And like, it's become like a deposit place for like her bag and stuff. She just drops it in there when she comes in. And I don't know what she's doing though. Like maybe she's, maybe she's reading. I haven't read in a while, so I'm going to live vicariously through this character. She's reading. All right. I like that. That's a good, it's a good rainy day activity. So what kind I we don't necessarily if you have a book in mind we can get specific but just generally like what kind what kind of books does Marnie like I think she's actually the kind of person who reads mostly nonfiction so I think this is maybe let's go with a biography and I don't know I see her being interested in the STEM field so maybe it's a biography on like Alan Turing It's a good choice. Good rainy day book, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's to each their own. So is... I feel like I have to ask this question just because this is the type of reader I am. Like, I I need background noise when I read. Mm. So, like, either a television show I've watched a million times or, like, music without words. But Mm -hmm. something to distract, like, the ADHD part of my brain to trick me into being able to sit down and read. What kind of, like, does Marnie like to read in silence? Does she like to have something on? Yeah, I think she likes to have something on because I'm, I'm similar when I'm reading. I don't like to be reading in silence either. Just because I've been thinking about it recently. Let's say she's got like an episode of Twin Peaks on in the background, but it's on really low. That is one of my my favorite uh, television shows to put on while I'm reading. It's so good. I've been meaning to rewatch it. Haven't gotten around to it yet, but one day. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is my all time favorite show, and definitely one of those shows that I love being able to like 
be reading and then look up and have something weird going on on screen. Mm -hmm. Also, because she's, I'm imagining that she's kind of a sitting like a gremlin. So she's like all hunched up in the chair with like her feet on the chair and like her knees near her chest. But it looks like it can't be comfortable at all, but she's perfectly fine. Excellent. I'm, this is just, you have basically just described me when I'm reading <laughs> uh, in every way humanly possible. So yeah, so the TV is on very low, like so low that you can only make out a couple words here and there. And Marnie is reading this biography of Turing. And I think the first thing that Marnie notices that's kind of weird. It's like it's chilly out in in the, the way that it gets where the day, it's starting to transition from a, you only need sweaters at night to you need sweaters during the day. Mm -hmm. But there is sort of the distinct change in quality of sound when rain turns to sleet. And Marnie hears that kind of scraping of ice against the windows and the sort of louder bangs against the roof. And it is nowhere near cold enough for the water to be turning to ice. Yeah, that definitely catches Marnie's attention. She's just kind of like, what in the world? And like, again, because she's kind of a gremlin, she dog ears the book and sets it down and then goes to the nearest window to kind of like look out it to see if it's like, because you know how sleet will like bounce up off of the ground when it hits the ground usually yeah so she's looking for evidence of that just to confirm what she's been hearing yeah and it does when, when marnie looks out the window it is it is obviously sleet and there are you know it's it's, it's sleet so it's like a fine ice but there are signs of like little pellets of ice hitting the ground and bouncing every which way and I think Marty is just like, what the hell? And she pauses Twin Peaks and grabs grabs a sweater and goes to step outside to investigate further. Just like, okay, it looks like it's sleeting. What the fuck? And like opens the door and steps outside and like holds her hands out to see if she can like catch some of the sleet in her hands. And I think at that point when Marnie puts her hand out, it, the weather starts to kind of worsen and the sleet starts to turn to hail and just like large hailstones start raining out. So like when Marnie puts her hand out, like, there's that sting of ice and you start to hear that kind of sound of pure chaos that comes with hail as hailstones kind of just bounce off of everything. Marnie immediately like backpedals because the last thing that she wants is a black eye from a fucking hailstone. And she like closes the door behind herself and then turns off Twin Peaks and turns on like a local channel to see if there's any sort of like special weather advisory or something like that. 
Yeah, and I think when she turns the news on, Marnie sees it almost immediately transitions over to the weather in a happy little coincidence of timing. And uh, according to the weather report, it shouldn't be doing what it's doing. The weatherman is talking about how it is, it's raining, but the rain should end within the next hour or so. Temperatures are holding out around 40, 45 degrees. Okay. Hmm. And then from the television, I think Marnie hears a sort of creaking sound. Kind of, it's the sound when you see some ice and you aren't sure if it's solid enough to support your weight. And so at first you just kind of tap it to see how solid it is. Then you put your weight down on it and there's that creaking sound of the ice accepting your weight. And that is the sound that is coming out of the television. Well, like any good millennial... Marnie knows that the first step to troubleshooting is turning it off and turning it back on again. All right. So there's the quick flicker of the television turning off and then turning back on. And the newscaster has stopped talking about the weather and is standing there and... They're changing. The, the, his, his arms are growing too long and his fingers are growing too long and his skin has turned this kind of deep blue and it almost looks like ice. And it's angular and sharp, and everything is just growing as his limbs and torso elongate. Marnie's just kind of like watching. I don't I don't know that she's even necessarily afraid at this point. This is just like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it's not. At least at this point, it is, it's not like, uh, like American Werewolf in London, mm-hmm. werewolf transformation, grizzly. And like, the weatherman doesn't seem to notice that anything unusual is happening. He's just elongating. And then he looks at you and he says, What do you want, Marnie? I think Marnie just goes, uh. So, yeah, I, so this weatherman is elongating. And I think, based on the previous media, it probably even crosses Marnie's mind that he almost looks like the giant from Twin Peaks. I think she's still just very, uh about it especially after it spoke especially after the weatherman spoke her name and i think eventually like well not eventually i think after a moment i'm not gonna say that she turns the tv off because i'm going to leave it up to you whether or not she's successful 
Uh, you know, I think when Marnie hits the hits the power button on the TV, the TV does turn off, but almost immediately there's the sound of like ice splintering and the screen of the television has all of these cracks starting to appear. I feel bad because my knee-jerk reaction is like, hey, I can't afford to replace that. <laughs> I, I, I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> Actually, I do think I do think Marnie's just like it's just like, what the fuck? I can't afford to replace that TV. But it's like there's just like an edge of panic because she's just what the fuck is going on? What is even happening here? And I, I think as as Marnie voices that very reasonable concern, that sound of cracking ice stops. And there's sort of visually, it almost looks like the screen is melting as like droplets of water start to appear around the edges of the cracks as the cracks in the ice kind of seal themselves up and the damage is gone. The damage is gone, but are there still the sounds of like ice falling outside? Yes. I think the, the, the hail is still coming down. And I think Marnie's just like rubbing at her eyes with the heel of one palm. And it's just like, I am hallucinating. I don't know why I'm hallucinating, but I am hallucinating. Maybe I need to get, do I, does, does my carbon monoxide detector need new batteries? And so she goes for her carbon monoxide detector because she remembers that one Reddit post about that dude who thought somebody was sneaking into his apartment to leave him post-it notes, but it turned out he was just doing all sorts of mad shit because of carbon monoxide. And the carbon monoxide detector seems seems fine. And I think as like Marnie is going through this checklist of, of things that it could be, she notices that the sound from outside returns to normal. It's just the sound of rain on the roof. Maybe slightly hard rain, but... Certainly not hail. I think at this point, Marnie goes back to the TV and turns it back on a little hesitantly. Just to see if there's anything on, you know, if if it comes on at all, for one. It does turn on. And I think it's just a news report about how the holiday season is starting earlier and earlier. I think kind of shakily, Marnie leaves the TV on to to listen to that little fluff piece because, you know, it hits close to home as she goes into the kitchen to make herself a cup of tea. I feel like that might be a good place to end the scene. Yeah, I like that as a kind of nice, quaint way to end a, a, a creepy scene. 
And I think, again, because this is something where Marnie's just like curious, like it was a little, it was a little frightening, but mostly Marnie is curious what the fuck is going on. I'm going to give a token of favor for that one. All right. So we are now on scene four. So we're coming around and hitting the home stretch here. Yeah, in the in the back half of the story. So here's my pitch to you. I feel like now is as good a time as any for a dream sequence. I like that. I was I was actually just looking at my moves and thinking fugue, fugue state hasn't gotten used yet. Yeah, and especially since we already we already invoked Twin Peaks, I feel like a fugue state is a perfect thing to segue into. I'm gonna have um, to try and try and channel my inner David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been pacing these things out to get out a bit. Do we want to keep doing that, or do we want this to be that night? I, I feel like we're reaching a point now where like pacing feels like it should like speeding up is sort of natural. Yeah. So I like the idea of if not that night, like sometime very shortly after that. But I think that night makes sense. Okay, perfect. Then I would say it's that night. I would say that Marty's fixed a cup of chamomile tea and is feeling a little less jittery after what happened, but is still like turning it over in her mind as she falls asleep. It makes sense. So I think the dream starts. What was the, the yard at the house that Marnie grew up in, like. Hmm. I'm thinking it was probably like, it wasn't a huge yard or anything, but it was fenced in, but it wasn't a privacy fence. It was, you know, slats you could see through fairly well maintained. It's one of those things. The yard was trimmed fairly well, but like Marnie's mom wouldn't, wouldn't let her dad put down like we'd be gone or round up or whatever because she liked dandelions and she liked the you know clover you know a lot of stuff that weed treatments typically get rid of so it was a little bit it was a mess but a well-maintained mess and there was probably a swing set in there somewhere because I always wanted a swing set as a kid and I'd didn't have one, so Marnie gets to have one now. I like that. That's a good good element of wish fulfillment. So I think the dream starts and it's it's winter and snow has fallen. And I think it's a weekday and, and Marnie got a snow day off from school. And so Marnie's out in the yard in the swing set is there and the seats of the swings are covered in snow. And all of the dandelions and clover have given over to a a patch of pure white snow. You can even see some of it clinging to the tips of the fence. What What was Marnie's favorite activity playing out in the snow? I think it was like building snowmen or 
quote unquote snowmen because Marnie never actually did like the rolling up thing. Marnie just built like giant snow piles and stuck sticks in them because that was way less effort. Yeah, so much so much easier. See, I think Marnie is building a a, a, a snow mound <laughs> that will eventually become some sort of snow person building it up and building it up and getting it to a height and it's a dream so there's this weird kind of in one moment it's marnie as a child but then in the next it's marnie as a as she is now as a grown-up and like every time the camera like cuts away and cuts back marnie is sort of a different age as she's kind of processing through her day building up this snow mound and Finding a couple sticks for arms and finding... I don't know if I I know anyone who actually ever used a carrot for a nose that feels like a, a bygone era type of thing. But finding something to create the face. Mm-hmm. And once the face is finished, Marnie looks away and then looks back and the snow person is mostly the same but it has a strangely human mouth and it says those words that Marnie has heard a few times now in the last few weeks what do you want Marnie? And because this is a dream you know and dream logic is a thing I don't think this upsets Marnie like at all really hmm i'm trying to think of how she responds though the main thing is it's one of those things where you know she's relatively cheerful but she is you know one of those quasi jaded sorts of folks you know in stereotypical millennial fashion it's like you know you don't you, you mostly you know there are things that you want, but most of them involve like having a nice place where you don't have to worry about where your next paycheck is coming from. But at the same time, like this is dream logic. So this is dream Marnie and dream Marnie probably hasn't been ground down by retail hell. So yeah, it is the, the kind of the perfect moment to get at the sort of like more existential core of what she wants. Yeah. I think what she ends up saying, because this is a dream, she says, I want my family home for Christmas. But because this is a dream, it's kind of like, you know how sometimes, you know, two things happen at once in a dream. And so, at the same time as she's saying my family, like she's also saying, she's also saying I want to belong somewhere. And it's fairly clear that when she says that I want to be with my family for Christmas, she's really just saying, I want to belong somewhere. Like that's, the fam- you know family christmas is about belonging and that's the thing that she wants in that moment 
Like the snow has put her in mind of that. Yeah. So I, I think there's a moment where the snow person is almost caught off guard. Like it doesn't fully understand sadness, but knows that that wish comes from a place that, that carries this emotion with it. And it, it, for just the briefest moment, it looks as if it's weeping, but it's not tears or water coming out of these charcoal eyes in the face of the snow person. It's little rivulets of blood that move down the face, leave little pink stains down the snow. And then immediately it's Christmas and Marnie is inside. And is it Marnie's family that is there? Or is it found family? Is it people that Marnie has read biographies about? In this case, like, it's definitely Marnie's parents. It's a couple of close friends from childhood that, like, she might have lost touch with. There's a couple of people, because it's a dream, there's people that in the dream she feels a connection to, even though she doesn't know who the hell they are in real life or if they even exist. There's probably a couple of old family pets who've passed on. And I think in this instance, like, this isn't present-day Marnie. I think this is this is child Marnie at this this Christmas event. And so Child Marnie is looking around this this Christmas party and I think presents have already been unwrapped and there's probably piles of wrapping paper that people are trying to slowly get into trash bags. And as Marnie looks around and sees all of these people, the family, the friends, the old pets, that snow person is also there in the corner. And the blood is gone, but there are still these kind of pink streaks running down its face. Does anybody else notice the snow person? Or is it one of those things where, like, the snow person is there and everybody is just, like, walking around them as though they aren't? And, like, Marnie seems to be the only person to notice them. It's a good question. I think... It's it's that sort of weird dream logic where I, I think people notice that it's there, but no one acts like it's unusual mm-hmm. that there's a snow person at this party. Like everyone is just acting like this snow person should. Of course, they should be there. It's you know, it's Uncle Fred. It's Aunt Wilma. It's mm-hmm. it is a member of the family. <laughs> Like somebody starts passing out dinner plates and puts one in front of the snow person kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. They're they're fully acknowledging it. I think weirdly that's what kicks Marnie out of being a little kid and back into present Marnie because it's like that's sometimes dream logic is fine, but sometimes dream logic like gets pushed a little too far and it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, and in that moment, it's the the adult brain that takes over and is like, why is 
this is this is odd. Mm-hmm. And so Marnie goes over to the snow person and like waves a hand in front of their face and and says hello. Hello, Marnie. Is this what you wanted? I feel like this would be a good point for Marnie to wake up because I'm not sure Marnie even knows the answer to that question herself. I I think that makes sense. And I think when Marnie wakes up, it is so cold in the house. Far, far colder than it should be. All right. I think... I think that's going to be a favor. Like it was weird, but nothing, nothing overtly set off Marnie's, you know, visceral no reaction like Doctor Tennyson did. So, and I don't think there's there's any sort of reaction, you know, like Coda to that scene. I think that stands really well on its own. So, all right, perfect. All right, final scene. All right. I think it would be kind of fitting if we ended where we started with Marnie coming home from work, but the sun is well set because this is probably this is probably a couple of weeks later and you know, she's having to wear a sweater and maybe a a knitted cap or beanie because it's gotten much chillier and it's also later like even you know even if she had been walking home at the same time it would still be way darker but it's also later she had to do a closing shift closing shifts have gotten later because they're getting closer to christmas yep exactly i like that i think that's a good full circle sort of moment and I think that we see that that lot for sale sign again. And this time there's kind of snow that's built up on top of the frame. But it's a little windy, so there's still the thumping sound of that one loose corner. Yeah, and I mean, Marnie's walked past this sign a fair amount since the very first time that she saw the crows. So I'm not sure that she necessarily... Well, actually, no. I think maybe it's more interesting if she does pay it some mind because she's kind of part of her's on the lookout for those crows again. Like, just because maybe if she sees them again, she can see that they're still just normal crows. But I don't think she's seen any birds really in that lot since she saw them the first time. Yeah, most of them have migrated at this point. I think I think maybe though this time Marnie does actually see some crows sitting on top of the sign. And they're normal crows. And there's something to be said about the abnormality of them being here still. But they're not like ice-beaked crows. Mm-hmm. And I think they just kind of watch intently. Marnie kind of mutters half to herself. I swear to God, if one of you says my name, I'm going to throw a snowball at you. And I think one of them kind of like cocks its head. Like it understands that you're saying something to it, but not necessarily what you're saying. 
Mm-hmm. And she watches for a moment and like when they don't immediately do anything, like she releases a breath she hadn't really realized she'd been holding and goes to follow the rest of her path home. Just like a little bit of a relief in her step. And I think uh, as Marnie kind of crunches by the sign, she gets close enough to the sign that the crows kind of with a perturbed sound take to the air and fly off. And that's when behind the sign, Marnie sees it feels wrong to call it a face. It is roughly the shape of a head, but there aren't any really distinguishing features to it. Mm -hmm. It almost looks kind of like a mannequin head, but made out of ice. And it, you don't know how you know, but Marnie knows that they're looking at her. And pardon the pardon the expression, but I think Marnie freezes when she sees this. And at this point, I don't I don't know if there's room left in Marnie for skepticism at this point, because obviously all of this weird stuff has been happening and like it's been slowly mounting. And so now it's not a matter of this can't be happening. It's a matter of what's going on. But she's also like the lizard brain is weighing its options of if, if I don't move, it can't see me versus if I run, it'll chase. And so all she can do right now is just stand there and stare. And I think as Marnie stares, the form kind of it moves out from behind the sign and not in like an overly threatening way, not in a way that looks like it's, it's getting ready to charge or that it has any intent. And as it moves out from behind the sign, Marnie can see that it, their limbs are just way too long. And the form is unnaturally tall, enough to stick out from behind a, a relatively tall sign. Mm-hmm. Probably seven and a half feet tall. Their torso seems so small compared to these long legs and long arms made out of ice. And as the moonlight kind of hits it, it has these kind of unnatural angles where everything everything looks sharp. No matter what angle you look at their arms or their legs, all of the angles just seem sharp. And if their fingers are so long, like icy knives. And once, they, once they're outside or out from behind the sign, they stop and are just looking at you intently. I think there's this moment where like Marnie can't tear her eyes away and more, more to the point, like she's trying to, to find 
purchase on their face almost like trying to figure out where to look to see what their intention might be and then like as they're like coming out from behind the sign Marnie's like very slowly backing away and I think they notice that and don't come any closer and I think I think they actually stoop down a little bit realizing that or thinking that maybe their height is is part of what's causing this <laughs> and so they stoop down and I think as they move Marnie notices that there are kind of cracks that get illuminated by the moonlight running up and down these long limbs. And from the cracks, there is blood that has started to sort of ooze out, but because they're made entirely of ice, it doesn't really move. It's frozen there. And they crouch down, not approaching any closer, and say, What do you want, Marnie? So, I kind of want to call the scene there, because I think what Marnie says next will be determined by our game's resolution mechanic. Alright, I think that, that's a good... Um... But I do hate to say this, like, she's not feeling this particular encounter, so that's, that's, uh, final token is revulsion. That makes sense. I I figured, I wanted, and I knew that, like, having not really done the full final form of Mm -hmm. physical manifestation, with it being elongated and bleeding, I, I, I anticipated uh, that the scene that involved the physical manifestation might end up with revulsion. Yeah. I don't know if there's a way to play that that isn't horrifying. No, there's not. And I, I promise you I chose weak stomached completely independently of your decisions. So, all right. So, first... We each draw a card. I'll go ahead and just deal you a card and deal me a card, and then I will deal the other cards as needed. All right. So we each start with one card. For each token of favor you received, you get additional cards. So you get three additional cards that I will deal out to you. And then for each token of revulsion, I draw a card. So I'm going to draw additional two cards. For myself. All right. So we've got a pretty. Pretty even spread. All right. So now we compare our cards. So I'm just going to put my cards out here on the table. So I drew seven of clubs, king of hearts, jack of spades. What did you draw? All right. Feel like. Forget what the. This is. Uh... Oh, so you got the. You got the joker. I did. I forget. I I remember the Joker does something. So, since you drew the Joker, that basically means, you know, that's the trump card. You get you you get primary narrative control over what happens at the end of the game, and it basically means you quote-unquote wins as the terror. Okay. Um, 
So that means that the next thing that Marnie says is, I want to know what's going on. And keep in mind, like, the terror is no un- under no obligation to be truthful here, even, you know, at any point during the game either. So, you know, it's it's entirely up to you, like, whether or not Gelu chooses to be truthful to Marnie in this moment. But either way, the fact that you had the high card means that the terror does get invited in at the end of the day, and we have to decide what that looks like. Okay. Yeah, let me think. I've been playing Gelu predominantly as, I, like, I think relatively truthful. Mm-hmm. So I think that Gelu looks at Marnie and says, I need a new home. A place where I can be accepted. And Marnie is very clearly deeply nervous and is obviously saying this from from a position of being nervous but she kind of laughs a little and is like well i mean i've got a spare bed so what does a world with gelu in it look like that's a good question. I, I'm now just imagining this like Eldritch, <laughs> Eldritch sitcom <laughs> where Gelu and Marnie are just roommates. Yeah, it's it's like WandaVision, but infinitely more upsetting. Yeah. And I, I, I think with this like weird sort of bond that I think Gelu has started to feel towards Marnie, being Eldritch, not really like fully understanding loneliness, but starting to kind of realize that this feeling that they have is kind of the closest emotion they have mm-hmm. as as an otherworldly being to the human emotion of loneliness. And I think that a, a world with them is cold. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I almost imagine that this becomes... Like a weird sort of like, I don't think that like it's a full fledged like Cthulhuan apocalypse. Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe this town that Marnie lives in becomes like a place that is just, it's always winter. I like that a lot. And I think that Gelu lives there and almost becomes like an, an urban legend so that like it doesn't necessarily change entirely with the exception that everyone has to get used to this endless winter. Um, but it's not like an unsurvivable cold. Mm-hmm. It is, it is just always snowy and cold and people, it's kind of like living in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> and then people tell stories about this icy figure that I think spends most of its time in like the part of the town where Marnie lives. Mm-hmm. And kind of is almost for Marnie like a, a guardian angel figure. I really like that a lot. I dig it. Where like when things go wrong for Marnie, Gelu is there. I have a question though. What happens when Marnie leaves? Or alternately, mm-hmm. does Gelu let Marnie leave? That, that is a good question. 
I think. I mean, I think I think they would let Marnie leave, but I feel like the town, the weather kind of becomes even worse. Mm-hmm. Not when Marnie still lived there. It was cold, but it was still like it would snow occasionally. But it wasn't like nasty winter. But I think when Marnie leaves, the town kind of becomes haunted by this constant nasty winter where the snowstorms get heavier. The wind is more biting. Now I'm sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that was I, I love that so much. And I do, I like, I feel genuinely sad for Gilyu. Me too. They just wanted a home, and then Marnie tried to give them one, but wasn't good at it, and now he's gone, and they're stuck here. I mean, I don't, I, I don't blame Marnie. Like, if, if, if my town became endlessly winter, uh, I would last for roughly, like, three weeks yeah. before I moved somewhere else. Fair. So the last step is really important to me and we're already kind of doing it, but once we're, once we've figured out what happens, we, the next thing that we have to do is take a moment to reflect on the story we've told and discuss with each other, what we really enjoyed about it. I like that. I think that's a good, it's, it's one of those things. Sometimes when you've been in a really good in a really good game, you need a little bit to decompress and like talking about what you liked helps with that. So I wanted to make sure that was part of the game. So I think, I think my favorite part was definitely the snow person at the party. I loved that. That was so good. Uh, I, I am glad I, that was a fun, I, my, my dreams are always like very odd like that where like, there's weird things that happen, but no one ever acknowledges them as weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, I feel a deep kinship with Marnie. <laughs> <laughs> with the exception that I'm very bad at reading nonfiction. Yeah, me too. But I figured, you know, I couldn't be complete wish fulfillment with her, so I had to give her something that I'm just like, what? Yeah. But I, I, I really, I, I liked her... In particular, like how you played her skirting the line between skeptical but in, like intrigued and also um, weak stomached and intrigued. <laughs> Thank you. Like the interactions that she had with the horror, I think were really fun and really powerful because. Like she was, she was willing to put up with a certain amount. Thank you. I really. Oh my gosh, Gelu's. I'm I'm so sad for Gelu now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this was supposed to be scary, not sad. Yeah, I didn't see that being where the where the story went, but like I I felt like largely because Marnie was so like willing to be intrigued by. Things that were, like, not necessarily outright, like, gross-out horror, but unsettling, mm-hmm. made made it for me, in my mind at least, that, like, Gelu 
had to feel this sort of bond. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's good is the thing. Yeah. I, I, I like this game a lot. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad I, I deeply enjoy playing this game. It's always fun seeing what people make of it and how things play out. And this is no exception. This was a delight. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for coming on. And thank you for, for introducing me to this game. And thank you for making this game. (laughs) Yeah, this was just such a, and this is not at all what I expected when I started making this character. (laughs) But the story just went in such delightful <laughs> uh, is a is a weird word to use, uh, but it was it was a sort of delightful story of weird kinship. Yeah, El- Eldritch Horror turned into like a buddy film. It's very good. But yeah, that was that was wonderful. Just a a stellar experience. I'm so glad. And uh, thank you again for coming on. Um, I I highly recommend that folks head over to itch.io and pick this game up. If you are looking, I know a lot of people during these strange times have been looking for two-player games. And this is a really wonderful one. Thank you. Yeah, thank you again for having me. This was a blast. And yeah, like I said at the beginning harpydora.itch.io if you want to pick it up. I Actually, I may need to refresh my community copies uh, because I know this is a hardship time for a lot of people. I try to have a pool of community copies available for folks who can't afford, for whatever reason, the, the full price of the game because it's more important to me that people be able to play and enjoy this. So I'll have to go double check, but I try to keep those refreshed as often as possible so folks can just play and enjoy. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and and playing. This was, uh, this was wonderful. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to August for joining me to play their amazing game things, Eldritch and terrifying. Thank you to you for listening. If you liked this game, you can pick it up over on harpydora.itch.io. I really recommend it. Our theme song is everybody knows my name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join me on April 16th when I sit down to play Bloodstained Hands with the creator, Vlad Temper. Until then, remember that you are strong. You are beautiful. And you are not alone.
My love. 